Well, some of you have been with us on this journey toward God as we've done these series as we've talked about Jesus being this pivotal person who came and, and changed history and, and revealed his love in so many ways that it's impacting people from that day till now. And we talked about this unknown God who um, each of us have this God who's at work in their life, who is loving them. And, and what I loved about this morning, and you'll hear more and see more from both uh, John and Helen, who were baptized just about a, a month or so ago. You'll hear more of their story, but that they allowed us to share the life change happening in their story, which is true in a number of others. We could put more stories up there. And our prayer is if you're here and you're not quite sure where you fit in that story and you've experienced through that lack of love or even your own sinful choices, this brokenness, that through this you'll understand and know and and actually walk in the story around the scarlet thread, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it is our desire that you would speak to our hearts and I pray speak through me as your servant in Jesus name. Amen. Have you ever um, said something that you thought you were really clear about, but it just didn't come across the way you had anticipated it to come across and, and, and later found out that it just wasn't what you had intended? You know, somehow, as you said it, that person had some preconceived image in their mind or idea, and it just wasn't what you had given in the message. Well, this mother, who you'll see in a second, found this to be true when her daughter came home with a note from her teacher asking for an explanation. Her daughter had drawn a picture of her mother at work with this caption. When I grow up, I want to be like mommy. Embarrassed, her mother wasn't quite sure, so she wrote this explanation back to her teacher because the teacher was a little bit concerned, and she wrote to the teacher, Dear Mrs. Jones, I wish to clarify that I am not now, nor have I ever been an exotic dancer. I work at Home Depot. And I told my daughter when she asked me what I do, how hectic it was last week before the blizzard hit. So this blizzard that had hit. I told her we sold out of every single shovel we had, And then I found one more in the back room and that several people were fighting over it. Her picture doesn't show me around a pole. It's supposed to depict me selling the last snow shovel we had at Home Depot. Now, I don't know what you were thinking. You know, it's a perfect picture of people fighting for a shovel who were saying we want it with their money. Sometimes messages are given and they need explanation. And I really believe this message that we celebrate at Easter needs further explanation for all of us to some degree. So when a, when a believer, a follower of Jesus comes up to another person and they say he is risen, they say in response, Okay, stand up. We need to get some blood flowing. That is not good. I don't think you've got that down. Okay? And when, when a follower of Jesus on Easter morning comes up to another believer and says he is risen, the other believers say, Good. Okay, great. Thanks. You can be seated. Very good. You know, even the first witnesses, they were confused with this message that first morning. In Luke chapter 24, 
verses 1 through 12, we read, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were there wondering about this, not sure what this meant, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? He said the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. You remember that message? For some reason it's not clicking. Then it says, then they remembered. It began to make sense. The message, these preconceived ideas they had, had to be pushed out of the furniture of their own minds, so to speak. And these truths began to enter and they remembered his words. And when they came back to the tomb, and from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and a number of others who were there together. And Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and others were with them who went to the tomb, told the apostles. Catch this, but they did not believe the women because their message, their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away. What a way just beginning to wonder in his mind this message that he had heard and what he was trying to put together and trying to make sense of it. And it is my deep desire that as just we have these few moments, there may be a few here who are kind of put together this message that God wants to speak to you. I really believe that God is present and wants to speak to every person here. But in a unique way, you may be here and God has ordained this moment for you to hear his voice and to call you to something that that you just have no idea. You have echoes in your heart, maybe, of, of his intentions, and he's going to release them as you listen and you respond. Today's message, he is risen, may need some explanation. There's no way I'm going to be able to give you the exhaustive understanding. We're going to look at one little truth. And one little truth that you can find in these words, he is risen, is this. God is with us to restore us. That's one sense of what the resurrection is all about. God is with you in order to restore you. First, to say that he is risen, we have to kind of think for a second and and understand. To say he is risen means that he was down. He came from a place where he had tasted death and despair. On the lips of his experience is suffering and sorrow. He went through struggle. He has experienced disappointment. He knows what it means to be disillusioned. He understands doubt. Jesus himself knows what it feels like to be misjudged. Jesus has a good understanding because he has been misunderstood. He's very clear about what it means to be mistrusted and distrusted. He knows because he's experienced it, he's been down. He has risen, but he was down. He experienced, he came and descended and experienced all that you have experienced. He's experienced loneliness. He knows what it means to feel utterly abandoned. He really gets 
the pain, the deep pain of betrayal. He knows like no other what it means to have experienced loss. And you may be in in those places and you may experience those in your life today. The story of the Bible from cover to cover is about this God who is with us in those places. I know we come to Resurrection Sunday and and in some ways you may come in and you you hear this message. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You see and understand the emotion and sometimes even feel the rah-rah sense of it. And this is great and glorious. And and yet in your own heart, and your own experience, you're in this place and, and God is with you. From cover to cover, from the beginning of the Bible, God creates this garden. In this garden, He creates Adam and Eve. And in this garden, God is with them. And at a certain point, they disobey and they begin to experience the pain of their disobedience. They experience for the first time being cut off from the love of God, this lack of love. And they experience their brokenness. And they are aware of this. It says they feel shame and they hide. And God does what? He enters into the garden, we're told. He enters into their place where they are at so they would he would be with them and he calls them into reality into understanding and experiencing and knowing what's going on the bible is just full of this story upon story where god shows up with people and not really pretty nice people either think about it god shows up to people who are liars and and they're cheats and they're greedy and they're adulterers people who are thieves and who are murderers. You name the sin and God seems to show up throughout His Word to those people. And God shows up today. You name your sin and God shows up. He is there. He is with you. He longs for you to join and be with Him. Jesus is that common thread, that Scarlet thread that says to people who are in these experiences, who experience this, I, this sense of feeling frayed, who experience this sense of weakness and this brokenness. And Jesus comes to you today. He's with you. His voice could be speaking to you right now. And he's saying, you know what, where you're at with what you're experiencing I ask you to come and bring that to me and and begin to let me wind the strength of who I am and and allow for my love and my forgiveness to, to wipe away your guilt and to take the shame and to begin for you to stand up in my presence. I will be with you in your sorrow. I will be with you in your loneliness. Wherever you are at this day, this scarlet thread throughout history comes and winds itself and says to those broken those frayed, those weak threads, join me. And join together with a whole bunch of other frayed and broken and weak threads. You know, I find it interesting that throughout the life of Jesus, the kind of people who were attracted to Jesus, who, who flocked to Him because he, they knew in their brokenness, their weakness, their sorrow, their sadness, they know that they needed some kind of stronger thread that would touch their lives and begin to call them into something that they never could be on their own. But they knew by the power of God it could happen. And so Jesus comes down 
And we're told that multitudes of every color thread flocked to Jesus. Matthew writes, news about him spread all over Syria. And as he began his ministry, people brought to him those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan followed him. There's this picture of these people who are these frayed, broken threads doing all they can to get around this scarlet, this, this presence of God. Who is with them? So much so was God with those suffering and those needing him that we're told that Mark says that he couldn't even get time alone. We read that Jesus went off with his disciples to the sea just to get away. But a huge crowd from Galilee trailed after them, also from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon, these areas. And swarms of people who had heard the reports had come to see for themselves. And in the midst of it, he told his disciples, you know, as they were around him, swarming around, get a boat ready so he wouldn't be trampled by the crowd. And he healed many people, and now everyone who had something wrong was pushing and shoving to get near and touch him in your heart. You might be saying, really, is this true? God's with me. And some have not even been aware of it. God is saying, I'm here. I am with you. And you you have the opportunity to open your heart and say, God, touch me. The writer of the book in Hebrews in the New Testament says, we don't have someone who's out of touch with our reality Jesus has been tempted and tested in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. You know, some reject this whole idea of Jesus and and the Bible and the church because they really reject the church because they go, you know, as our former esteemed governor, Jesse Ventura, had said, religion is for the who? Weak. And, And in many ways, they're right. And for those who would say, yeah, it's, you know, for the frayed, broken, kind of weak threads and come together that make up the church. I love what the author and pastor Tim Keller says in his book, The Reason for God. He says, on the whole, and catch this, churchgoers may be weaker psychologically and morally than non-churchgoers. How do you like that? So all of you right here, a little worried for you. Anyway. He said that should be no more surprising than the fact that people sitting in a doctor's office are on the whole sicker than those who are not there. Churches rightly draw a higher proportion of needy people. They also have a greater number of people whose lives have been entwined around this Jesus and have been completely turned around and they've been filled by the joy of this Jesus. They're like, you're like the ones who said, as they came flocking towards Jesus, understanding their own need, understanding that they themselves have been, some of them given good minds and they had been given good abilities, but understood deep within their soul there was a blueprint they had within them that was made to worship something greater than what they're chasing after. And the church is merely a collection of threadbare people who are connected to a fully alive, healing, restoring, scarlet work of a master, seamstress, designer, tailor, Jesus Christ. And the church, I'll just tell you, is admittedly full of imperfect people, but it's through these imperfect people who allow this scarlet thread to wind itself around the fabric that create this kind of fabric that go out and in this process are used by God because God has a work for you to do through his power, which is the next part of this. Jesus 
has come to be with these kind of people. And there's more than that. He doesn't just come to be with you in it. He comes to restore you, to take you out of it, to move you to what he's always intended your life to be. He has a work for you to do. He has created you in such a way to express his goodness and his glory. So not only is God with us in our sin, but Jesus says he came down and suffered and died. He is also, and this is what we proclaim, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Because Jesus is with you to restore you, to restore us as people. Now, we need to be really careful when we talk about even things such as miracles as as believers, because I think sometimes in our imperfection, we sometimes come off, you know, once you taste something, once you experience something, you come off as like you're a know-it-all and you got it all together and figured out. And we talk about resurrection as if it's no big deal. Come on, believe it. And we glibly speak of miracles as if they're common sense. And miracles are really, when you think about it, events out of the ordinary, right? And in that sense, they're rather difficult. They're hard to believe, and in some degree, they should be. Because miracles are not natural. In fact, we talk about the supernatural, the idea of super being above. It's, it's beyond that which is natural. And we're called to live, and we live in this natural world. But what the Bible tells us is we have a spirit. And until we understand that this God is with us and we entwine our lives around it, it's in that process as we open our heart to him. He awakens our spirit, and through our spirit we begin to see because we believe. Everyone goes, well, you see, and then you believe. No, you, you believe. You, you come to him in your weakness and your vulnerability, and you invite him into your experience because he's with you. And then you say, I want to be with you. And in that witness, you begin to experience this resurrection. You begin to understand his power. But we forget. And I just, I just encourage you, even as you go out into life, miracles are not easy for the natural mind to digest. Because even the early witnesses struggled with this. As we read in Luke chapter 24, It says that they came back to the apostles and they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Jesus had actually been risen from the dead for some 40 days and it appeared to people numbers of different times. He did really cool things in his resurrected body. And this is hard for a person who in their natural mind can't understand or get this. But Jesus would actually, we're told, walk through walls. Now that's a little strange, right? We're told that as he's walking, two people walking down the Emmaus Road, Jesus kind of shows up and they don't recognize him for who he is. And Jesus begins to explain the Old Testament and all that it meant. And as they're walking, they see Jesus. Jesus at one time is is at the shore of Galilee. And here's Peter. Peter has has um, said he would stand up and do anything for Jesus and denies him. And so Peter feels an utter failure. And as an utter failure, this broken, frayed thread decides, I can't allow my thread to be entwined around this scarlet thread. He's too good. He's, it's like Helen said, I'm just not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm not perfect. And so he goes back to what he knows. Not what God intended for him, but what he knows. And what he knew is how to fish, supposedly. Because Jesus is on the shore, guess what? They're out there fishing, and Peter and them are catching nothing, which makes me really wonder, were they really good at that? Because Jesus from the shore says, you know what, try the other side. And they try the other side. And we read in John 21, 6, that when they tried the other side, they caught so much fish that they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. 
that were taken. Now catch this. Jesus calls them to meet them in Galilee on a mountain. And probably 500 or so are there. And Matthew records in the very last part of his, his record of the gospel, he says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus said, he didn't say, you, know, you doubters, get out of here, get out of my presence. And those of you who are going through questions, he, he lets them come, those who are with him, who are, 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 are in this process. And, he, and he, he, he basically commissions all of them. And some of you are in this place and you're going, I don't quite get it. But here's the truth of the matter. There is, it's not about getting it all intellectually and mentally. It's about getting in your heart and understanding that there is this God who loves you so much that he would go even to the point of dying on a cross and giving his life fully for you. And then he would stamp it with this approval and raise himself, his son, from the dead. And you would see all the power of life that says this power, this life is for you. And you don't have to get it all. You may not understand it all. But be open to my life. Be vulnerable and weak. Admit you're afraid. Empty threads. And say, Jesus, would you allow me to be joined to this power and strength? And would you begin to awaken me to all that you have actually intended for me to be? You know, I think it's interesting we have this idea that when you come to faith, everything all of a sudden is clear and makes sense. But that's not what we find even in the records of the Bible. Even this resurrection is something. It's like when you walk in a room and it's totally dark. It's dark and the light goes on. What do you have to do? You have to wait sometimes for your eyes to adjust. Or you go out into the sunshine. It's so bright and you're kind of like this. Those who have basically joined themselves to the scarlet thread and the power of this resurrected Jesus are on this journey. And we don't have our acts together. We admit we're broken people. That's, uh, that's something we're not necessarily proud of, but it's a reality. We also know that we need someone greater than ourselves. And as we join with him, he begins to give us clarity in our heart. And we begin to realize that he has this life for us now, not just now, but even in the future. Tim Keller writes, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order. Think about it this way, if you're wondering about this. We think of miracles as being a suspension of the natural order. You know, the natural order is like this, and then all of a sudden you have this kind of thing that happens what if, he says what if jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order what if the natural order was really supernatural keller says the bible tells us that god did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it jesus has come to redeem it where it is wrong and to heal the world where it is broken his miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also the wonderful foretaste of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a, not a challenge to our minds. Catch this. They are a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. And in this remarkable way, on the resurrection day today, this Sunday, there is this interlocking of this world with the world to come. And in some unique way, this new day has begun. And you can begin to know as you join yourself with him in this life that he will begin to restore 
that which your life is to be. And you enter this new day, this new age, now and forever. And that's the, that's the truth of the gospel. Ravi Zacharias um, was a, a gentleman who went to the seminary I went to. And he's an incredibly brilliant man. He's an international speaker and author. And he, he shares his story around these words. He says, I was haunted by failure to the edge of suicide. And then came life. I remember when Ravi came to the seminary back in the 80s, and my father at that time was president, and I remember my dad telling about this guy, this Ravi Zacharias, and as he um, was sharing about it, he, he knew, he, he had told me that Ravi had come from India, and, and he was struggling with whether he could even stay in school financially, so my dad went out and raised some money to keep him in school, and this man has gone on, and he speaks around the world. He has done incredible things for helping people understand truth. But he tells his story. He came from this tough Indian home. I'm talking East Indian, not Native American. He comes from this Indian home, unable to measure up in that culture. He was performing miserably in school. He, he says, cricket and tennis was all I lived for. In India, he relates that when you're failing and not doing well in school, it is a formula for, for shame. Quote, Indian children are raised to live with books and get to the top of the class or else they face failure and shame. And he was feeling all of that. And he went off to university and he, Ravi says he walked into this empty chemistry lab. And in the chemistry lab was this um, cupboard that was locked up and in it were chemicals. And he somehow got it unlocked and he went through and found these chemicals and finally came to these packets that were written on it, poison. And he says, the next morning I filled a glass from the kitchen tap and took it to the bathroom, then bolted the door behind me and I poured the toxic pack, packets into the glass and drank it as quickly as I could. And he says, as he's kind of falling and, 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 and as his strength was leaving him, I instinctively called for help as I collapsed. A life kind of flowing out of his body. He said he, he called out, someone heard him, and they couldn't get in the door. They actually had to snap the bathroom door off the hinges to get in. And they got in, they, they took his body somewhat lifeless, and they brought him to the ER room. And there as he and his life really hung on a, fender, a, a thin and, and tender thread, they began to, to take the poison out of his system and, and help to restore him. And as he was there, a man came one day and brought him a Bible. Seeing that Ravi was in no shape to hear anything, he actually handed the Bible to Ravi's mom who was sitting there next to the bed and he opened it, flipped it open to John chapter 14 and he pointed to a scripture and said, this is for Ravi, read this to Ravi. As Ravi tells the story, once he left, this man left, my mother read aloud the passage. It was just simple, it was just a few words. The words were, because he lives, you will also live. Live The words he said hit me like a, a ton of bricks. And not knowing the Bible, he, he said to his mom, Mom, who said those words? And she said, Jesus. And at that moment, being in need, broken, afraid, he just opened his heart and he prayed inwardly, Jesus, if you're the one who gives life as it's meant to be, I want it. And then Ravi added these words, Please, Jesus, get me out of the hospital bed well, and I promise I will leave no stone unturned in my pursuit of truth. Five days later, the attending doctor came to sign Ravi's discharge papers. And as this doctor was looking over the documents, he looked at Ravi, looked in the eyes, and he said, do you really, do you really want to live? And he, again, those words, live, 
were ringing in his head as he looked up at him, and he didn't really answer as the doctor continued to scribble. And then he stopped writing, he looked at Ravi again, and he said, do you really want to live? We can make you live again by getting the poison out of your system, but we cannot make you want to live. This is a choice that you have to, through your will, make. And he says, as the doctor's question settled in, I knew the answer. I had met Jesus. I, at that point, had been a changed person. And in that, that exchange, there was a wrapping of his needy, frayed life around this one who had risen. And as a result of that rising, God, over time, began to lead Ravi into the place that he wanted him to be, to become all that he wants him to be. Not that he doesn't have problems, not that any of us have problems, but the reality is this, that God met him in a hospital, in his sin, in his weakness, and met him there, called to him, just like he may be calling to you right now. And you may be a student to someone young or you may be older and you may just calling out your voice right now and says, right where you're at, I'm here. And all it is is just an inward prayer that says, you know what, I want to live. I want your life in my life. And you don't have to have it all figured out. So what does it mean? This interlocking of these two Places where this new day has come with Christ risen, this scarlet thread who came to earth, who wants to have you and us as people to wrap ourselves around him to do the work he's called us to do. In some mysterious, strange way, we're interlocked. And Jesus says this day has now begun for anyone who opens their heart to him. That's why Paul says this kind of strange word in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, with the resurrection of Jesus, the world is being invited to wake up. The new day has come. Wake up, sleeper, writes Paul. Rise from the dead. Christ will give you light. Do you want to live? Do you want to live with Him? So what does it mean for you to wake up? Just simply for you, it may be a first-time decision where you just say, you just say in an inward prayer, Jesus, if you are with me, would you restore me? Would you begin to give me light? Would you awaken my spirit? That's a simple thing to say. Just inwardly, would you awaken my spirit? May the power of the resurrection of life begin to flow in me. And for some of you, it's a simple prayer because you have done that, or maybe it's a redecision. But in some of your cases, it's a restore my soul. It means allowing for yourself to get in touch with the sense that God wants to come into every area of your life. He wants to come into your marriage. He wants to come into your work world. He wants to come into your personal life. And He wants to begin to restore your soul. And there's life for you. And the question is this. Not that God is, whether He's with you or not. It's really, do you want to be with Him? Do you want Him and all that He offers, all that His life brings you?